Hey everybody, I'm Alistair Stevens. Welcome to This Week on Point North. And we've got a big week ahead of us as we approach the end of book four of The Lord of the Rings and get to it, get to the heart of the matter. Meet the champions of the Triwizard Tournament this week in Dear Mr. Potter. There's a ton to discuss, of course. Most importantly, of course, and most immediately as I'm preparing today, as I'm already working hard this morning, uh, most importantly, I have the final session of my Between Worlds class tonight. My, my exploration of fairy, of folklore, of fantasy, it has been a really fascinating journey over the course of the last five weeks. This week, we're concluding with our thoughts on the modernization, the Disneyfication, and the post-Disneyfication of fairy tales. That is going to take place tonight as we discuss uh, Snow White from 1937. We're discussing the Disney adaptation of The Little Mermaid, which is a really fascinating film, not just as a fairy tale, not just as a piece of folklore, but as a, a signpost, a marker for what Disney was at the time and would ultimately become. And of course, we're going to delve into Neil Gaiman's fantastic Coraline to look at the post-Disney response to fairy tales and, and to the use of capital F fairy in modern juvenile fiction. Coraline is, God, it's just a lovely book. It's just rich and deep and, and compelling. And I've been sinking into that again over the course of the weekend. So I'm eagerly awaiting that discussion this evening. If you're registered for the Between Worlds class. That will be taking place at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central this very evening. Stay tuned. You should have an email with the class link in the very near future. If you have missed out on the Between Worlds class, don't worry. The downloadable version will be available probably on Wednesday. It's probably going to take me a couple days just to get all the files in order and, and make sure that everything is ready to go. But you'll be able to download all six live class discussions in video and audio formats, all of the slides and the notes, all of the texts, at least those texts that I'm legally allowed to share because they're in the public domain, and our discussion of uh, the 1999 adaptation of A Midsummer Night's Dream, which was a really fun discussion, a live commentary track, I suppose, for A Midsummer Night's Dream, which was a ton of fun too. So if you haven't yet had the opportunity to take part in the Between Worlds class, stay tuned. It'll be available later this week. We are then on Tuesday evening at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, moving into Dear Mr. Potter. Dear Mr. Potter 43, entitled We Are the Champions, in which we are going to meet Bobaton and Durmstrang. We're actually going to have those those schools, uh, the... the the, the selections, the, the <laughs> finest and, and best students of those schools arrive at Hogwarts in uh, these chapters. And then we get to the eponymous Goblet of Fire, I suppose. That's chapters 15 and 16 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Bobaton and Durmstrang, and of course, the Goblet of Fire. That's going to be a really interesting discussion, not least of all because we get the opportunity to really delve into different varieties of heroism and exceptionalism, right? For the first time in the span of the Harry Potter series, Harry is actually going to be challenged on his own, on his home turf. And that is going to be completely fascinating. Then on Thursday evening in There and Back Again 52, which I have entitled Tales Never End, we get to talk about chapters eight and nine of book four of The Two Towers, of book four of The Lord of the Rings, The Stairs of Kirith Ungol and Shelob's Lair. That reading is going to end in a very dark place. And then, of course, next week, we're going to pick up with the actual end of The Two Towers. We'll pick up with chapter 10 of The Two Towers, The Choices of Master Samwise. But this week, as I've said before, if you guys are inclined to place a wager on whether or not I will openly weep during a session of There and Back Again, this is a good bet. This week is a good solid week for, for that wager to pay off because we're mostly going to be talking about Frodo and Sam. We're going to be delving into that conversation about stories, which takes place on the stairs of Kareth Ungol and... 
is for my money the best part of the book is is just the most heartbreaking beautiful poignant thoughtful philosophically profound part of the lord of the rings i can't wait to discuss that in some depth and then on friday we're wrapping up a wrinkle in time we're probably parenthetically probably wrapping up our discussion of a wrinkle in time in the patreon exclusive book club that has already run one extra session i'm looking at the last three chapters chapters 10, 11, and 12 of uh, of Madeleine Engel's fantastic seminal fantasy novel, A Wrinkle in Time, and we may we may need to take an extra session, is what I'm saying, so we'll see how that all works out, but hey, stay tuned for that and for more. All of this, of course, is available over on pointnorthmedia.com. You can head on over there now. I've already posted the schedule for the week. You can also find the links on pointnorthmedia.com to the calendar, which you can subscribe to and, and get on your device of choice, or you can subscribe or follow, I guess, is the, the preferred terminology here on Crowdcast, you can follow uh, all of the, the work that I do here on Crowdcast by visiting crowdcast.io slash pointnorthlive and clicking the follow button. I think there may even be a follow button if you're watching this video live somewhere here in your in your uh, your user interface. I'm not entirely sure where it is because I can't see it. Of course, it's very difficult for me to follow my own thing, but here we are nonetheless. So a ton to look forward to. Ethan joining us here saying, okay, so I couldn't make DMP last week and I have a bit of a beef. It may not have been discussed in the chat, but why was Neville's melting cold not further discussed? Percy warned us it would happen. Why did no one listen? <laughs> it's those cheap shoddy imports, right? I had never put that together, Ethan, but you're absolutely right. You know what? Percy Weasley fighting the good fight for wizarding students all over the United Kingdom. Um, yeah, that's interesting. It, it is I think in part, right, to to take what may have been a slightly, you know, facetious question very seriously, as is my way, um, I think the reason that I'm not thinking about Percy Weasley and thinking about the ministry in that section of the book is that we turn so hard back to life at Hogwarts. This is very much a first book, second book kind of perspective on Hogwarts. And that's deliberate. That's that's purposeful. We get in not last week's reading, but the week before, we got that that that's survey of, of life at Hogwarts, I suppose, where we visit, where we have, you know, an indication of potions class, and then we have an indication of care of magical creatures, and then we have an indication of divination, and we see how all of the classes work, how Harry is settling once more into his academic schedule, even though he's doing so with markedly less enthusiasm than normal. But yes, yes. Um, let me see here. Oh, Becca's saying that she brought it up. I'm sorry. I, I must have missed that in the chat, but defensible, Becca. Absolutely defensible. See, Becca just conducting her own side textual podcast here in the Crowdcast chat and doing beautiful work at it. Yes. Good. Um, oh, Becca's also asking if we can just talk about A Wrinkle in Time forever. We're not done, of course. We will be talking about the movie adaptation of A Wrinkle in Time, about which I am very excited, or at least about which I am extremely hopeful. Hope is a tricky thing when you're a fan of movies. I talked last week about how bold Netflix was announcing and then releasing the Cloverfield Paradox in the form of a Super Bowl commercial and then uh, then having that movie just be available for everyone later that evening. And I was talking enthusiastically about how great this is, like, like leaning into the idea of, of Netflix's ubiquity, of its its presence as a de facto broadcast network in the homes all in, in everyone's home all across the United States and how exciting that was. And then I mentioned right at the end, just to kind of cover myself there, I said, also... It's possible that the Cloverfield Paradox isn't terribly good, like, and this was them dropping it and hoping that the word of mouth would attract enough attention that they could at least, you know, justify the investment in this particular film or the investment that was required to buy this particular film after its production. Um, and it turns out that that's probably the case. I have not yet made time to see the Cloverfield Paradox, but the word of mouth response has not been good. Netflix not firing on all cylinders when it comes to its original sci-fi offerings of late, but uh, I'm going to watch it. I mean, 
I have to watch it because it's a Cloverfield movie and I am in for Cloverfield movies. So at some point this week, I'll watch that. Maybe I'll, I'll do a little spontaneous live broadcast to talk about my thoughts on that, that uh, movie after the fact. And at some point, I'm going to sit down and watch Bright too. I've had so many questions and emails and comments made about Bright and about the handling of a... The handling of, of a very sensitive uh, race dynamic in Bright, both very well and very poorly, apparently within the frame of the same movie. So I'm, I'm interested to look at that. Not least of all, of course, because it offers an interesting perspective on Professor Tolkien's treatment of race in The Lord of the Rings, which is something that he wrote about extensively after the book was released and kind of, uh, kind of defended the integrity of a secondary creation, honestly, saying, no, these things aren't actually, you know, allegories for real life race relations. Like the orcs are not any particular type of real life, you know, ethnicity that you can think of. That's not a thing that I am doing. It is consistent with the secondary realm, with the, the secondary creation in which I am engaged, but it still attracts a certain amount of criticism and a certain amount of flack and fire. So it's going to be an interesting discussion one way or the other. I'm not quite sure when I'm going to get to that because, of course, my secret priority for this week is the long-awaited Last Jedi story in Star Wars episode. Stay tuned on Wednesday. You'll notice I don't have anything scheduled for Wednesday this week. So, um, yeah, just uh, just stay tuned. I can't think of a better way of spending Valentine's Day 2018 than working on story in Star Wars and finally, finally, finally getting that out to you all. And also outlining, sketching, scheduling the next handful of episodes for story in star wars i think i'm going to have as of right now i think i'm going to have two more story in star wars episodes after the last jedi episode before we get to solo so this is going to be a more frequent production which is actually one of the reasons that the last jedi episode is taking longer than i wanted it to is just that that a scheduling is really tough you guys and i'm also engaged right now in the uh, excelsior commentary series for uh, the road to infinity war where we're watching every single movie and offering commentary tracks on that the commentary track for captain america the first avenger was just released on saturday night because we had to reschedule some recording there and uh the commentary track for, let me try and get my scheduling right here the commentary track for the avengers will be available on friday when I will also be simultaneously, while that is released, in fact, I will be recording the Excelsior episode on Black Panther. We're going to go and see that on Friday morning and then come back here to the studio and, and talk about that movie. I cannot wait for that film. I really cannot wait for that film. So it uh, turns out that Movie Pass is probably going to be a wise investment for me over the course of the next few months. I think between now and the end of April, now and the end of May... I am planning on seeing six movies in the theater, which is more movies than I saw in the movie theater last year, I think. And we're doing all of that within the next few weeks. So uh, it's going to be very, very exciting. A lot of strong podcasts coming your way. Um, let me see here as I catch up with the chat. The book club last night was just crying all the time, says Becca. Yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. Oh, Angela's saying, I was disappointed to hear that Altered Carbon wasn't that good either. I'm disappointed in that. Um Altered Carbon, I bounced pretty hard off of the book, but I was really interested in the ideas. So I'm, I'm a little disappointed that that hasn't uh, worked out. That certainly is consistent, I suppose, with the lack of an overwhelming critical response that I've seen online. So, uh, you know, the evidence of absence is not the absence of evidence or vice versa. But yes, yes. Um, oh, Jenna's asking, has anyone been watching uh, watching Altered Carbon? Yeah, no. Oh, Ethan's asking, speaking of sci-fi on Netflix, did we ever discuss Stranger Things? Ethan, Stranger Things has been on my list of topics to discuss for the longest, longest time. Um, at some point, I have to, right? I think that that I haven't yet seen the second season of Stranger Things because I'm deliberately holding myself at arm's length from the second season of Stranger Things until I've had the opportunity to talk in depth about the first season. I try and kind of compartmentalize my experience of, of these shows. The first season of Stranger Things is one of the most 
brilliant and sophisticated and and thoughtful and inspired pieces of fiction that I've engaged with over the last few years. I absolutely love, love that series. And not just for what it is, but for what it represents, for what it means, for the, the inspiration that it draws from, obviously, so many of my favorite texts and this core concept of fairy, right? Stranger Things gives us a dark vision of fairy, which I find completely compelling and also parenthetically kind of connects back to something that I was discussing in the Between Worlds class last week um, when we were talking about the emergence of modern fantasy in the late 19th century, early 20th centuries, right? We were talking about George MacDonald's The Princess and the Goblin and we were talking about J.M. Barry's Peter and Wendy and I noted at the time in the class that actually a weird thing happens at the turn of the 20th century, which is that the, the, the forward momentum, right, the propulsive force that has carried fantasy storytelling up to this point kind of leaves the fantasy genre at, at, at that time, right? That, that we've codified fantasy and fantasy has become a safe and inclusive space. Fantasy at that period is leaning more, it's inclined more toward children and toward juvenile audiences. And the really exciting progressive propulsive work in this field, in the, the fairy folklore speculative fiction field, is being done by horror at this time, right? And that's true, of course, going back a long way. That, that goes back all the way back to, to Edgar Allan Poe, arguably, and up through the works of Charles Dickens, up through the works of, of Oscar Wilde, up through, I mean, absolutely the works of H.P. Lovecraft into the pulp tradition, right? That's, that's a really fascinating era for the evolution of fantasy because it's not really happening in fantasy novels at the time. And Stranger Things connects beautifully back to that, uh, that, originating impulse there with, with fantasy storytelling. So at some point, I will definitely talk about Stranger Things. I would love to do a whole podcast, actually, just episode by episode on Stranger Things. I think there's more than enough there. And we should remember that, that Netflix has actually done surprisingly well, like astonishingly well, really, with its original offerings, not just Stranger Things, not just the, the Marvel series, of course, which admittedly cover the spectrum from extremely good Jessica Jones, Defenders, I would argue, all the way through to not very good at all, Iron Fist. Um, but they managed to do some great work in that space. And we must remember, too, that, that Netflix gave us Sense8, uh, which is, again, one of the most interesting science fiction series that I've seen in a long, long while. So the Netflix original series kind of doing okay, even though they faltered a little bit with their original movies. And I think that there may just be a, a problem of form here. There may just be a, a structural problem here, which is that I think Netflix is just worse at movies. I think it is a less effective and engaging platform for contained short form storytelling than it is for still relatively contained and constrained, but longer form storytelling, right? It seems to thrive in that eight to 10 to 12 episode range, the, the new prestige miniseries range. And they're, they're having some trouble getting their movies lining up with that, which, you know, movie studios have been struggling with that for years now too. So who can say, who can say what the future holds? Um, let me see here. Good. Okay. Oh, are we are we catching up? Becca doesn't get Stranger Things. Okay. No, I can see that. I can see that. And and yeah, uh, nothing is for everyone, right? Nothing is for everyone. Uh, Aaron's saying that, that exactly that. Nothing is for everyone. For example, I never liked Friends or Seinfeld. Um, gosh, <laughs> Friends is always an interesting show. Um, because it defined a particular voice and a particular sitcom style. It is in many ways, I think, the apotheosis of that particular sitcom style. And it's one thread of, of, of sitcom writing and sitcom performance that goes back to 
arguably taxi, I suppose, may have been like the, the, the spawning point for that particular tradition. And I feel as though Franz did all that you could do with that particular form, which is why anything that's come along post Franz that has tried to emulate that, that structure, that rhythm, that sensibility, that aesthetic has been less successful. Even shows that kind of ape the form, like I suppose Big Bang Theory is the continuation of, of the Franz legacy, right? But but is obviously even then not as broadly uh, accessible, I suppose, as Franz is. Franz is aggressively accessible. Friends is aggressively made for everyone or made for as many people as possible in a way that modern TV just isn't. Seinfeld, interestingly, well, Seinfeld has suffered because because it was so groundbreaking and then so often imitated that it now feels incredibly tropey and incredibly cliched because we've had innumerable shows that have that have cherry-picked the best parts of Seinfeld. But Seinfeld is an important text, if not actually a, in 2018, good text. I, I don't particularly care for Seinfeld, honestly. I, I didn't particularly care for Seinfeld the first time I watched it, though, again, I was coming to Seinfeld after the fact because it, in its original airing, I believe, was never aired in the UK. I didn't watch Seinfeld until... 96, 97, 98, something like that anyway. So it was already kind of past its prime or, or, or its its cultural significance and cultural impact was past its prime. It did not feel as fresh as it would if I'd been watching it as it aired. But yeah, it's, it's sitcom rating is a, a skill unto itself and a very demanding one, a very, very demanding one. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me see here. Okay, good. I think we're all caught up. Yeah, Becca saying Seinfeld will be better without Jerry. I'm just not that into him. Absolutely true, right? In exactly the same way as I argue that uh, How I Met Your Mother would be better without Ted. I'm not interested in... I'm not interested terribly often in shows that have a conventional... Uh, a... Uh, a conventional, accessible, recognizable, understandable lead. Like a vanilla lead is just not that interesting to me. And that that tired convention now of having the vanilla lead who is surrounded by the wacky cast of characters. No, I'm, no, thank you, actually. Because the greatest sitcoms have never done that, right? Cheers never did that. And Frasier never did that. And even Friends, to a certain extent, never did that. And then we get to the modern evolution of the sitcom with shows like Parks and Rec and shows like The Good Place, where we just reject that... that we reject that manageable status quo completely, right? Although even Parks and Rec kind of does, although it constantly reboots itself, we do have the, the constant reinforcement of a new status quo as we transition from one period of Parks and Rec into the next. It's really interesting. And of course, I now need to catch up with The Good Place. That's on my list too. All right. Ted is the Ross of that show, but I would watch Neil Patrick Harris do anything. Read his book. It's gorgeous. His book is fantastic. Everything that Neil Patrick Harris does is is magical and gorgeous and glorious. What was the um, what was the YouTube show that he did with the the Henson Workshop? Uh, Neil's Puppet Palace? No, I'm thinking of Harry Potter Puppet Palace. Uh, Neil's Puppet Dreams, is that what it was called? It was really great. I think they only ever did one season of it on YouTube, but it's very, very good, and I like it a lot. Yeah, he's he's incredibly uh, he's incredibly charming. And of course, yes, Dr. Horrible, and Alexa's calling out that, uh, that she loves Neil Patrick Harris. Jenna just chanting NPH, 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 which, yeah, fair. It's, it's like a fair response, I think. He's he's just, just fantastic, just genuinely lovely. Um, okay, so... I'm getting, I, I'm winding down now and I'm going to do something unusual, which is I'm going to just share a thought that I had this morning and, and kind of wax poetic and lyrical about this because I, I did something very unusual this morning, right? I woke up this morning with a 
clear and powerful memory of a dream that I had last night. And that doesn't happen terribly often for me. I don't remember my dreams terribly well, and they generally don't linger with me into the day. And I'm, don't worry, I'm not going to recount my weird dream that I had last night. I'm going to give you instead an image which I found to be enormously powerful because last night, friends, I dreamed of snow. And I've spent the last year and a bit here in Oklahoma City where surprisingly, perhaps it does snow. We get, you know, a, a very, very, very light dusting of snow. We get it hanging in the air and these these crystalline shards out there in the air. But but I don't get snow. I don't get the kind of snow that I experienced back in, in Syracuse and upstate New York or even the kind of snow that I experienced on the banks of the river Ohio, uh, the banks of the river back there in Ohio. Um, and snow for me has always been magical. And what I realized this morning, thinking about it, is that, or, or what was reinforced to me, what was emphasized to me this morning, thinking about these thick drifts of snow, is the way in which snow gives us what a good story gives us. One of the great virtues of stories, as Professor Tolkien laid out in his brilliant essay on fairy stories, one of the great virtues of, of stories and storytelling is this gift of restoration, right? We are presented with something that isn't real, but because it isn't real, we are not jaded to it. We are not familiar with it. We are not possessed of that contemptuous familiarity, which we so often bring to the real world, which I think we, we strive not to bring to the real world, right? With a, with a defiant desire to enjoy the world. Sometimes we can struggle against that, but there's only so much that you can do in the most wonderful places and the most wonderful experiences can become dulled with, with repetition and familiarity and strong stories can remove that. They can lift the scales from our eyes and open us up once more to awe and to wonder. And snow does that for me. Snow, when it falls in thick, deep drifts overnight and changes the world, recontextualizes our experience, it forces us to engage with the world again anew. It forces us to see the world as it really is, as it could be, not just the snow, but the shapes, the underlying shapes, the, the geography and the detail that is highlighted by that new fall of snow and the new ways in which we have to interact with the world. You don't think twice about walking to your local corner store to pick up a newspaper or driving to the grocery store or going to hang out with a buddy, you know, going to, to spend a, a very pleasant hour having coffee and, and talking about the world. You don't think about those things ordinarily because you don't have to. But when the snow falls, every experience is renewed. Every experience is is reinvigorated and made fresh once more. And obviously, I've just been thinking a lot about the romance of snow, been thinking a lot about the ways in which, metaphorically, snow is a story told by the sky to the earth. And story stories are renewing, stories are restorative in that very powerful sense. And hey, we can all use some restoration from time to time. So that's a thought that has been occupying my mind this morning. Thank you for indulging me so much as I share that. Yes, Becca saying it's snowing right now. I'm super into this. Yeah, for cleansing and renewal and seeing things fresh. Yes, Lynn says, I love snow. It makes me feel like a child again, feeling wonder for the world. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Uh, so Sundry says, snow, I like seeing it on the mountains from the window, uh, which I have wide open to catch the fresh sea breeze that refreshes the morning air. Gorgeous, Aaron. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jenna's saying it was snowing all weekend and I'm kind of over it. I wish I wasn't, but I am. It is a beautiful thought though. Yeah, it isn't. I, uh, living in Syracuse for as long as I did, I, I was very familiar with the long tail end of snow when it stops being special. I'm particularly thinking of that first that magical unexpected fall of snow that you get where you go to bed uh, in the evening and, and the world is just the same as it's always been. And then you wake up and it is magical and refreshed. That specific experience is, is very, very powerful. Yeah. Good. Good. All right. 
Let's wrap this up with a quick refresh of what we are doing this week. Some of you, I know, will be joining me this evening for the last session in our Between Worlds class, which has just been so much fun. It's been the, the most fun class I have ever taught by quite a margin. It's been six weeks of, of wonder and of, of deep discussion and of delving into texts that I've never had the opportunity to talk about before. It's been absolutely wonderful. So this evening, we're going to, uh, to conclude our discussion with the modernization, with the Disneyfication and the post-Disneyfication of fairy tales with Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, The Little Mermaid, and Neil Gaiman's Coraline. That will be at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, an hour earlier than most of my live sessions tend to run because I just need that extra energy. I need that little extra spark. Tomorrow, uh, dear Mr. Potter, 43, we are the champions in which we are discussing chapters 15 and 16 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, getting into the arrival of the champions and then the selection of the champions for the Triwizard Tournament, really kickstarting that plot, getting that into high gear. That will be tomorrow. That is February the 13th at 10 p.m. Eastern at 9 p.m. Central. Then on Thursday, we're going to have there and back again, 52 Tales Never End, 10 p.m. Eastern at 9 p.m. Central, as we discuss uh, chapters eight and nine of book four of The Lord of the Rings, The Stairs of Kirith Ungol and Shelob's Lair. And then on Friday, 10 p.m. Eastern at 9 p.m. Central, we've got Probably, let's be honest, our penultimate discussion of Madeline Langle's A Wrinkle in Time, but I'm going to do my best. If I can get through the end of the book in a meaningful and thorough way in an hour, then I absolutely will. But it's possible this will be our penultimate discussion of A Wrinkle in Time. And that is what you can expect this week from Point North Media. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. I always love our little coffee dates here on a Monday morning. It's an absolute pleasure to begin my week in your fine company. I will talk to you all again very soon. Have a great week. Oh, actually, Alexis, before I, ra uh, before I wrap up, Alexis saying I watched a nice YouTube video that was an analysis of the movie version of Coraline in comparison to the book, and it was very good. The movie version of Coraline is very, very interesting. Is um, I, I do think that at some point, I'm, I'm kind of playing around with the idea that we'll actually wrap up the uh, Between Worlds class with a live commentary track for Coraline, but we'll see how that works out. We'll see if I can uh, see if I can make space in my schedule for that later this week. But yes, it, it's a knockout. Again, a very different adaptation. The focus of the movie is skewed just a little. I'll probably talk about that a little bit in tonight's class, but yeah, it's, it's a really great adaptation. Wonderful. Guys, thank you all so, so much. I will talk to you all again very soon. Until then, take care.